and welcome to Abbey Archives, a Redwall reread featuring one pagan and one Christian going over the series to see what aged like fine strawberry wine and what aged like milk. I'm Izzy, I use Seer pronouns. I'm Kit, I use she, her pronouns. You can find us and content for the podcast, including art and links to other Redwall-related things, at Abbey Archives on Twitter and Tumblr. I'm going to add uh, and Tumblr to this. Good idea. So that it's there. Um, today we're reading the second half of, not chapter one of Salamander Strong Kit, part one. <laughs> oh, right. Sorry. From chapters eight to chapter 15. Uh, content warnings are death, illness, overeating, entrapment, uh, cannibalism. Right, cannibalism. Uh, slavery. As usual. Uh, mm. war tactics. Kind of the very tail end there. They have, they're like starting the siege. Yeah. It's not really into it yet. Um, yeah, the illness is a big one. Um, yeah, we're gonna let everybody know that this book and like from this point forward, there is a like. Uh, it's not necessarily a plague, but it is a illness that spreads rapidly mm-hmm. in in the abbey. And so, like for me and Kit, we were both kind of like, "Oh no." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like we started reading this and just like, oh no, oh no, oh no. I mean, I've joked before how like right at like the end of 2019, beginning of 2020, I read a book about like the plague of England. And I thought, oh, that's kind of topical. And like a couple months later, I'm just like, that <laughs> was too topical. Way too topical. Yeah. And this book is kind of giving me the same PBGBs. It's like, no, I don't want to read about that. <laughs> yeah. Uh. For, for anybody who was like, uh, we're not in a pandemic anymore. You need to shut the fuck up. We still are. Mm-hmm. I saw somebody comment in a server I'm in the other day that uh, my county's numbers were at medium. Actually, I And don't... you should all know what that means, and I'm not going to explain it further. <laughs> uh, for those of you in the future who maybe don't know what that means, uh, look up COVID. <laughs> do we think the podcast is going to be around that long it's the internet that's true hello people in the potential future who don't remember <laughs> this that th- that would be like i'm guessing it'd be like the covid babies who were born during this so. uh-huh. yeah god that's a wild thought right uh it's anyway. too, too early to get into this <laughs> existentialism uh anyway so Come nightfall, the poor, exhausted fetal is only too happy to see the returning figure of Klitsch. He bellows out the news, awakening Farago. The weasel is testy and clips fetal with a pebble, scolding him for yelling so loudly. Uh, he orders fetal down and tells Sick Ear to keep watch up there. And I leave my first comment where it's like, well, maybe if you swapped out sentries instead of being a smart aleck bully and made this poor guy stay awake for two days, he'd have more wits about him. You did not put smart aleck in that comment. Yes, I know. You put wise ass. <laughs> Do not censor yourself it's here, kid. It's too early to start cussing. <laughs> it is never too early to start saying fuck. <laughs> 
I slept in on accident and I'm full of bees because of it. <laughs> I woke up at like seven o'clock and like periodically throughout the hour, I'm just poking Izzy like, Izzy, 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 wake up, Izzy, wake up, Izzy. <laughs> Izzy, wake up. We I don't boring. like this. Izzy, wake up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so father and son talk. Farago is pleased with Klitsch's report but confused why his son insists there's treasure when he hasn't actually seen it. Klitsch says that Mara let slip that there was treasure. Uh, and if anyone know where it is, she would. He also reports she and Pickle are sleeping back in the dunes, watched by Gotha. And here's uh, the thing that I'm curious about. I'm wondering if Klitsch is flat out lying to Farago. Or if he really thinks that what Mara said, you know, like, implies that she knows where the treasure is. Because, like, I wouldn't put it past Ryan to write a will, uh, a villain, a villain being willing to twist words to mean what they want them to mean. But it's interesting to see because, like, she never says that she saw the treasure. In fact, she and Pickle, like, both go, we've never seen treasure our entire lives. And she, all she says is, like, she goes, oh, I wouldn't be surprised if he had a treasure, but if he did, he can have it. Like, yeah, she... I think that he is lying. Uh, like, thinks... I do think that he's lying because he's trying to get yeah. his father killed. Okay, like, I, I I, really think I like that interpretation better than him, like, willingly misinterpreting her words for himself. Because he doesn't really seem to want the treasure that much. No, he wants kind to take of. his father's place. Yeah, that's the treasure for him. He wants to be the he top thinks... dog's. Yeah, throughout this uh, part of the book, every uh, decision Farago makes, Klitsch questions mm -hmm. because he thinks it's stupid. He thinks that what his father is doing is the wrong way to go about what they're doing. He's um, just an old man. He's just an old man. Uh, so we'll see how that pans out in the next part because we don't get into actual like war fighting in this book, but we will later. Mm-hmm. So, now Farago's question is, how to get into the mountain and get that treasure? Klitsch says it won't be easy. The mountain is a true fortress, and the hares and badger are nothing like the weak, untrained animals uh, Farago's band is used to killing. Uh, and now we get to the point where, for the rest of the document, Kit misspells Farago as Farhago. <sighs> I told you I was going to make fun of you for it. <laughs> Listen, I warned you in episode one that this name was going to give me trouble. The, the thing is, is like up until this point, you were spelling it correctly. I think because there were enough names and I was more focused on the plot this time because like, it's like the first half of the book, like you guys heard, I complained a lot because I wasn't enjoying it. This second half of part one makes up for that phenomenally and i'm starting to see why this is one of izzy's favorite redwall books like it's it's starting yeah. to pick up it's starting to become interesting and good and the thing because is, of is that, a lot of redwall books start out a little slow yeah i think marielle um, is an outlier yeah in that uh point at least up and up to this point yeah a lot of redwall books will start off a little slow because we start off with redwall yeah um and it has to kind of ramp up. And this is only the first part of the book. Yeah. So the fact that, like, within the first, like, seven chapters, it takes it a little bit to ramp up. Yeah. That's par for the course. Yeah. 
Um, so, where the fuck did I stop? Ah, Brago puts a skinning knife to his son's throat, boasting how he knows how to kill badgers. They're dull and weighed down by honor and conscience. He orders Klitsch to get back to the future hostages. All right, okay. So, history nerd in me. But, like, I love how Brian in this book is having the badgers set up as, like, the old-fashioned honor culture. And I mentioned that before, again, last recording, but the honor culture. But I really enjoy it because it wasn't a perfect system, you know, Lord knows. But it's interesting seeing how, like, first, in some ways, it was better than later systems. Like, when feudalism came into England, it really, like, really messed up the English bad. Of course, that was because the Normans were beating the crap out of them and colonizing them. But, um, you know, feudalism was a not great system. At least with honor culture, if you didn't honor your vows, you'd get offed. You know, like, oh, you're not a good king. We're going to kill you and hire another one. Um, well, not hire, but you know what I mean. But anyway, the reason I ramble about this is because I find it really interesting seeing that honor culture, not only through the eyes of the badgers and how it's getting more clearly defined, but how other creatures see it and how like Farago, after that one time killing those two badgers, thinks he knows badgers. Mm-hmm. And my, the two badgers he killed were not Salamanderstrand badgers. Mm-mm. There's a difference. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I love that Farago's name, like his his affectionate nickname for his son, is his young backstabber. Mm-hmm. He knows he's setting up his own death here. Oh yeah, he knows his son's gonna try some shit. He probably did the same thing to his dad. Probably. Like, oh, this is how, that's just how their family is. It's fucked up. It's super fucked. Like, don't don't get it twisted, y'all. This is fucked, mm-hmm. but it is interesting and kind of funny. Mm-hmm. It, it, there's something. It's there's very. Something, it, the, there's something like weirdly endearing about villains who are aware that they're setting up their own downfall. It makes them into characters. It's yeah. really good. So as Klitsch slips back to Mara, Pickle, and Gotha, he's watched by Oxi and Sapwood. The hares hadn't been able to hear the chat between father and son. But it didn't take a genius to know there was dirty work afoot. Not afoot, a paw. <laughs> they, they say a paw a lot in this yeah. book. Like, there, Brian like... is starting to lean into the animalisms, and it's really mm-hmm. good. There's, it's, you can tell he's not quite fully 100% committed to him yet, because there are a couple of, like, little slip-ups he does later on, but I didn't make yeah. note of them, because they were, they were small. They were little, little things. But he's, he's starting to get into it. I think yeah. it gets better as we get into later books where yeah. he really leans into the weird animalisms. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sapwood stops Oxeye from killing Klitsch, knowing they need to keep their advantage of stealth. He'll stay to watch the weasels, and Oxeye will go raise the alarm at Salamandastron. They have the advantage of being on home territory, and this will allow Sapwood to keep an eye on the kids and pick up more intelligence. Not only that, but finding each other to pass on messages should be easy. With a paw shake, they split ways. 
And I love this because like Oxeye actually gives him a little cheek like, dang, boss, you're so good at being diplomatic and letting people make choices about what they're going to do. And he's like, Sapwood just like starts to shadow box towards him and Oxeye is like, Pax, peace, peace, you know. And I love that because like part of me is giggling at like, how do the hares know Latin? <laughs> For those who don't know, Pax I wonder if it's, means peace. I wonder if it's... <laughs> I wonder if that's if if that's like just the root of like the hares language. The hares definitely feel like their ancestors were Roman. Mm-hmm. The the hares are like the remnant of Roman society that just kind of quietly lingered on in like the in Britain. Like yeah, and the badgers are the badgers are Nordic. Yeah, they have really big Nordic, especially later on. Ooh, <laughs> more badger world building. <laughs> You know what? I think that's like this. I think that's another reason I'm starting to enjoy this book so much is that we're really seeing Brian tapping into like the other cultures that make up the British Isles. Because a lot of people think, oh, it's just a homogenous like white people. It's like, no, there's actually like a lot of different cultures that made England what it is today. And it's fun seeing him like tap into those different histories and those different cultures and blending them into this weird kind of vaguely British world that the Redwallers live in. Mm-hmm. It's good. So, an early fly wakes Mara up to a peachy dawn. Pickle peeks an eye open, shuts it, and declares he's still asleep. A careful pawful of sand to his nose from Mara gets him popping up and demanding breakfast. And it's not like she throws a pawful of sand in his face. No. She like lets it trickle mm-hmm. onto his nose to like tickle him, and he's just like, oh, but I'm awake." Yeah, which honestly just <laughs> morning, like makes, you say? <laughs> which just makes my own nose like like oh, I just want to sneeze thinking about it. And just, <laughs> mm-hmm. Gaffa and Pickle start into an argument, each accusing the other of scoffing more than their fair share of food. Hey Brian, uh, hey Brian, can Pickle redeem himself with a heroic death soon? I think in, to a degree, in Pickle's defense, uh, he is very young. I know. And a lot of, like, a lot of his personality is tied up in Mara, their best friends. And Give ourselves a Yeah, but so, back to, like, when you're, like, young teenagers or, like, middle-aged teenagers, like... And you have a best friend that you've known your whole life. <laughs> Middle-aged teenagers? Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Is that what you call a mid-midlife crisis? Shut the fuck up. I mean, like, there's a difference between being 13 and 16. Shut the fuck up. Okay? These definitely register as being, like, around 14 or 15. Mm-hmm. Uh, or, like... Ariel voice 16. Uh-huh. Um, you know, like shut the fuck up. Leave me alone. Um But like when you've known somebody your entire life and like you guys bounce off of each other in ways that is like very tied into each other, like that's I think part of why Pickle is the way that he is. Mm-hmm. And rather than like a heroic death, I hope that he gets to like be a person. Yeah. Uh, like, I would much rather Pickle become an actual character than he die. Yeah. 
And like, I do joke about this, but if anybody out there does really like Pickle, please don't take offense. I am just very opinionated on which characters that I like. That doesn't mean he is a good or bad character. It's just, in my opinion, I dislike characters who are written this way. So that's why I am so vocal and snarky about it. That's just... Yeah, it's know. not good. It's not a good yeah. way to write this kind of character. I, uh, th- but there is a degree yeah. where I can like see, like, this is definitely a teenager. Yeah. And teen... And, and can't, you have to, teenagers are not. Not done cooking re- yet. <laughs> they're not done cooking. They're not fully realized. If yeah. you had to make a teenager into a character, it takes a while for them to become a character. And sometimes, depending on the writer, their character doesn't even stay consistent if we want to bring back Animorphs again. <laughs> to be hey, fair. <laughs> ghost writers. To, yeah, ghost writers. But say, to be fair, they were cranking out a lot of them. It is fascinating to me how that series is basically like a sitcom, but in book form. Do you know what book uh, Escafil Files just did? Which one? I think it was... Shit, hold on. 42 or 41, right? Uh... It was... Well, I think they just did the recording for one of them, but the one that just came out... Was oh wait I can well no hold on it was the one that was really fucked the buffalo human the, the buffalo uh, human the buffalo human and the aunt Cassie yeah that which it that was so bad that was so bad it's like they, oh god it's like the kids finally get one of the most important MacGuffins in the series and then they let a ghost rider handle it it's just like oh no what was going on why would you let them do this uh, it was so bad. I actually uh, somehow never read that one. Like, don't. <laughs> like there there was like a lot of like the latter half of the Animorphs books. I never actually got to read them for one reason or another. It's like, I think I skipped like half of the 30s because all of a sudden I got into like the 40s and I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Who's the, why have they got the cube? Who are these other characters? What's going on? <laughs> oh, what happened? Yeah, what happened? Anyway, uh, Gaffa starts to slip, but Klitsch arrives in time to save the situation. Like, Gaffa starts acting like... Verminly. Vermin. uh, Towards them. Because, you know, Pickle is teasing him, and Gaffa's taking it seriously. That's actually kind of... As the vermin tend to do. It's kind of sad, though, because, like, it's implied that Gotha is around their age, which means Gotha, you know, like, it's just, it's sad when you think about how the fact that most vermin don't just get to be kids or teenagers. Yeah, Yeah, it's... Because, like, the implication in a lot of these books is that, like, all vermin end up orphaned in some way or another. Like, they don't know their parents, they don't know their mothers, they maybe only know their fathers, Mm -hmm. if anybody. Um, I just dropped something on the floor come come to think of it we haven't really seen many female air quotes vermin i can think of like the female foxes like we mostly get to see female foxes but we haven't seen i don't think we've seen a single female rat i think we might have seen like a lady weasel or stoat or something but like yeah we don't get too many ladies mm -mm. it's a lot of like men Again, Pearls Which of Lutra is, is going to be one of my favorite books, but there's a female vermin in there who's a very interesting character, at least. So we've got her to look forward to for a little while. Yeah. 
Like, and the only, like, female, like, villain we've had so far has been Sarmina. Mm-hmm. Although, um, to be fair, she is, like, one of the first villains, which is a really cool thing. Yeah, but so. she's also not technically vermin. No, she's a cat, which we don't yeah, really see Yeah, she's much. a wild cat. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing that it's like, okay, bad people... Uh, bad people are bad because they didn't know their mothers, except then what about Chicken Hound and his mom? Well, Chicken Hound was bad because of his mother. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, we circle back to a lot of this writing is not great and falls into bad tropes and feels antithetical to what we know about Brian as a person. Again, it falls back on a lot of like the old fairy tale tropes and like, um, the hero's journey kind of nonsense. Like, have you, if you've ever actually read, there's a book called like the hero's journey and it talks about the cycle of storytelling. That is I very popular. I need you to know the only reason I know about the hero's journey as a concept is because of that BDG video mm-hmm. and- about Kingdom Hearts. Well, we've also talked about the hero's journey in length in earlier episodes. I remember that we have. Yes. But I bring yes. it up because... Because I actual... know the basics of the hero's journey. Yeah. But, like, the actual book itself that details the hero's journey, it's absolute garbage. Don't read it. Look up the hero's <laughs> journey for more modern people because the actual book itself is garbage because, like, they start right into some Freudian... Friday Freudian? Freudian. They start Freudian. into some... They start into some Freudian nonsense, like in the first chapter. Like, I remember I bought the book used and was going to read it on a car trip. I think like driving through Arizona to go to a friend's wedding. And like, I read the first chap. No, I was on a train anyway. I read the first chapter and left the book at the train depot. Like, I'm not reading the rest of this. Goodbye. Someone else will pick you up and read you, but I'm not. Like, a book has to be really bad to make me angry enough to just leave it someplace. To just abandon it. Uh Uh-huh. Um, But I bring that up because, like, one of the things he mentions is that, like, the hero will, has, like, the compulsion to, like, either find someone who's like his mother to wed them or protect them, which is why they always have to find the princess, you know. So, of course, the villains, like, if they have a mother, she can't be good because if the mom's good, why would the kid be evil, you know? He's bad. Fucking... Stupid yeah. bullshit. Hate this. Hate this weird nature versus nurture bullshit. It's more complicated than this. <laughs> but this book is for kids. <laughs> kids understand way more than we give them credit for. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh. Klitsch asks what the fight was about, and Pickle says that there was no fight. He'd only asked about breakfast and had been cruelly accused of being a scoffer. Uh, when asked his honest opinion if he thought Pickle was a scoffer, Klitsch says yes. Like, he upends their empty, like, uh, rucksacks and is like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, but there's no point in arguing about it now. Uh, thanks to the hair, they're just out of food. Uh... Uh, Mara thinks for a moment of home, the cool dining hall with simple but wholesome food and drink. She knows there's not much in the way of food to the north and west. Uh, when she asks about the south, Klitsch shuts the idea down pretty quickly because it's marshlands and toads. Mm-hmm. No, not, not marshlands and toads. The south is, um, 
that... where the, the army is, uh-huh. and is also the way that they came from. Uh-huh. Uh, so naturally, the only way to go is eastward towards the foothills. Klitsch winks at Gotha, who picks up on his leader's trick and agrees readily. Water flows down from the hills, and food grows around water. Uh, Pickle is only too happy to follow them. Like, there's actually a cute moment where Goff is like, he's good at finding food. <laughs> Just like, I feel a little sorry for Goffa because he's a little bit like Pickle in that Goffa's not a character. He only exists to, like, expand upon Klitsch's character. Um... But just like this little moment of Gotha finally like having an opinion on something, even if it's something simple as he's good at finding food is. Yeah. There's <laughs> just something kind of cute about it. At Farago's camp, Sick Ear keeps up his weary watch on meager rations and a hurting shoulder. Like he's got like a crust, of, like he's got like a crust of bread, a little bit of food and some water. And he uses most of the water, like clean his wounded shoulder. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't know what the fuck has happened to Fetal. Uh, he does not come up again. Actually, no, he does. He is part. Does he? Yes, he's um part of one of the search crews. I think it is. Ah. Um, not, okay. He's like, I he's, must have missed that. Yeah, he's part of one of the search. Like he kind of shows up a little bit in the background. Like he had his moment of terror, and like now he's getting to like kind of slip back into the background. I'm sure he'll come back and get offed one way or another. Probably. Um, but yeah, he's still alive. He managed to get, like, saved at the last minute where Farago didn't kill him. Um, but, yes. He's probably also passed out somewhere like, oh, thank God. He probably. Uh, other critters go about foraging, trying to get the most out of this strange northern land. There's also a very disturbing implication here that they will eat toads or frogs. Because, like, it mentions that, like, they're looking for fish, toads, and frogs. And I'm just like, uh, hey, Brian here, are you implying that they will happily eat toads and frogs? Because toads and frogs are, like, close to their size. It's implied that they are, like, near the size of the, the regular animals around them. And they can talk back. Like, I know that the vermin will also eat birds, but most of the birds they eat are, like, prey birds who don't ever actually talk. Like, we see sparrows and, like, small, small birds talk. Sparrows, wrens, like, the small ones who interact with people more often, but mourning doves, doves in general, um, ptarmigans, if they have those in, you know, Britain. Like, those kinds of birds, the game birds, they don't talk. It's like the birds who people will eat don't talk. I got nothing on that one. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, it, it shouldn't surprise me considering, uh, spoilers, the toads will eat other toads, but that's, you know. It feels very like uh, season one of Pokemon. Yeah. Where it's like, it, it, they kept implying, and like the cards did it too. Mm-hmm. They kept implying that like regular animals existed in yeah. the world. Yeah. Well, I think one of my favorite, like, headcanons is that, like, like some regular animals do exist. They're just not important enough to care about. And or there are Pokemon who are small who take the role of normal animals in the ecology there of the world. There has to be. There has to be. Like, like there's there's combies and, you know, beautiflies who are the size of regular bees and butterflies in our world because otherwise, who would be I pollinated? mean, isn't that what Pokemon Go implies? I think. Because we have the different sizes of Pokemon. Like, I've yeah. got a Tauros that's the size of, like, my my Greyhound. Yeah. 
like Pokemon Go, like they've definitely been playing more with Pokemon size because Legends Arceus does that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, to an extreme. Oh yeah, but Legends Arceus, it's really fun because it's like, yes, I have God, and then I have my Garchomp, which is, is twice his height. um but it feels like this is a little bit like it's not necessarily the same as like the marshlands frogs and toads yeah they're looking for like frogs and toads like regular like regular like sized frogs and toads you know what my Um, brain goes to that one comic of like donald duck when one of his cousins points a gun at him and they're like oh yeah it's duck season. He's like, wait, I'm not that kind of duck. I'm domesticated. <laughs> it, Goofy and Pluto are both dogs. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, the logic, what makes your brain hurt? Uh, uh, our audience can think more about this. I'm done thinking about it. So, hey, we're fans of Beastars. We've had to think about it before. I have never read Beastars. Really? It's, yeah, it's, I didn't get into it. I was weirded out by the fact that it was a bunch of high schoolers and people were being weird about them. That's fair. Um, it's got a strong start, a pretty good middle, and then the ending kind of wobbles to a finish. But I still found it enjoyable. I like some of the themes. I like a lot of the like world building that I've seen. But I just, reading it, the fandom was weird about it. Because it's like, these are high schoolers. Why are you being weird about high schoolers? I mean, probably a good chunk of the fandom was high schoolers. Yeah, no, there was also, listen, I'm a furry in the furry fandom, and there were definitely adults being weird about these, these teenagers. Uh, fair point. And I was like, please stop being weird about teenagers. Fair point. Please. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, though they all fear Farago, and some are starting to doubt his wisdom of moving north, a fox, foregrin, and a rat, raptail, are two such critters. Tasked with handing out what food they have, they join with a ferret named Bat-Eye in complaining about the rock-hard bread that's all they get to eat. Now, actually, they aren't complaining about it. Bat-Eye is complaining about it. Right. But they join in Uh, and tease him a little bit. Yeah, and then, uh, quick as a flash, Farago pins the bread in Bat-Eye's paw with his blade. He bullies the old ferret, forcing him to eat the stale bread off of the knife. And the ferret is old indeed, and his teeth are bad. He can hardly chew, and even loses another tooth. But Farago isn't done with him. And, like, Farago's cruelty here, where, like, he's acting like he's being kind, like, Oh, you should have taken better care of your teeth. Surely chewing on this bread will strengthen your gums. Go on, friend, eat. Have a little more. Come on, aren't you hungry? Like, there's something, like delightful about villains who do that like the kind of like almost would gaslighting be the right term here i don't think so the the no it's not the the false cheerfulness of i know you can't deny me you can't tell me no you have to go along with what i'm telling you to do it's basically it's it's a very that oh it's a very subtle power trip is what it is yes that's what it is and there's something like delightful about when it's written well and you're just like, ooh, this guy is evil. This is fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Farago's definitely a very fun villain yeah. because of this. Uh, like, he sucks. He fucking sucks. Mm-hmm. But, like, he sucks in a fun way. Mm-hmm. Um, also, this is where I first noticed that Kit was spelling Farago wrong. I just put Farhago in the notes. Whatever. 
<laughs> I love you, Kit. Uh-huh. Uh, he's about to force the ferret to eat more of the bread, much to Forgren's displeasure at the unneeded cruelty of it, when he's saved by being told Sigir has seen something that their leader needed to see. And I like that, like, Brian points out that even vermin can see that, like, there's a line that shouldn't be crossed. Like, there's vermins who have morals. They're not the morals that, like, a good creature would have, but they still have, like, their own code of conduct. And here we're being shown that Ferhago is, like, breaking that code of conduct. He's just, yeah. he doesn't need to be this cruel. There's no point to it. The creatures are already hungry. They're already under his thumb and he's just bullying now and it's making, you know, it's making his army more uh, resentful, not afraid. And he knows it too. Mm -hmm. uh, so what he, uh, what uh, Sikir sees is Klitsch with Mara and Pickle. Unfortunately, though, Sikir has also spotted Sapwood lurking behind the group. It gives Frago pause, not knowing if the Badger Lord has been alerted already, or if it was just one stray hair. It's almost never Pickle just one. No, there's always more than one. Unless it's Basil, in which case it's just one. Yeah. Uh, Pickle complains about how far they have to go, and how tired he is. Uh, Klitsch jokes that it was all the food he'd eaten the night before. Why don't they all take a rest and he'll go scout ahead? Pickle is only too happy to flop. Goffa takes up a discreet, surly guard while Mara rests against a rock. Now, Sapwood tries to use the opportunity to tell her to run. It's a trap, uh, but, and like, tells her not to move, stay as she is. Uh, but she blows it by openly asking him why he was there. She's like, hello, Goffa, sir. Why are you here? What are you what are you doing here? And Gotha launches into an attack. Like, he notices, like, who are you talking to? Sapwood easily counters and then clocks him out cold. He has just enough, enough time to say there's a whole horde of vermin over the hill when said horde comes screaming towards them. Yeah, which must be terrifying if you're not expecting it. Yeah. He thrusts his lance into her hands and begs her to run from the trap. He'll buy her time. Uh, and at this point, we were both like, oh, no, Sapwood's going to die. He yeah. does not. The spoilers, he doesn't die. But we were like, please stop killing off the hairs we actually like. May Sapwood's memory be a blessing. Yeah. So th thankfully, no, he, he lives. He lives. <laughs> now we're back at Redwall. Name day starts at Redwall with the youngsters marching through the orchard. With no badger present, Throg has to stand in wearing a badger costume. Like, he's wearing, like, gray drapes. He's got, like, a ladle, like, a big ladle. Mm -hmm. uh, he's painted uh, black and white stripes onto his head. <laughs> Probably just because the otters are similar in size to he, badgers. He's, they say it's because, like, he was the, the biggest. The big otter. So it's like, it's because he's big, you know, the biggest one there. They had him be the badger. Yeah. Uh, he challenges the youngsters, and they answer with, his challenge with a rhyme. Give me a second mm -hmm. to get to that. Are we on the same? Since I made you read everything last time, I will read things. <laughs> I could do the children's response. It's like, Give me a second. you can read. Oh, our books have different pages. Oh, no. Well, I put down my pages because I thought I'd read them like usual. Oh, here we go. Here we go. Okay. Here we go. All right. 
So we'll do the the call and response for okay the kids. Like I'll I'll also read the the narration. Okay. So the name day celebrations at Redwell Abbey were in full swing. Early that morning, they had started with the young ones marching round to the orchard, where they were met by Thrug. As there was no badger to challenge them, the big otter had disguised himself, striping his face black and white and garbing himself with dusty old gray drapes. He shook a ladle at them as if it were a club and called out the challenge. What want you here, young beast, young beast? What want you here at my feast, my feast? Two young mousemaids, Turzel and Blossom, stood forward. They danced around Thrug as they chanted, Oh, Stripe Dog, great guardian, some food for us all, for we are good young ones who live at Redwall. Thrug appeared fearsome and waved his ladle at them. Some food, you say? Nay, nay, away, unless our good abbess says it is names day. It fell traditionally to Dumble, being the youngest, to call upon the abbess to open the feast. He was pushed forward, his head wreathed in a posy of flowers and a willow wand in his paw. Twice he forgot his words as he waved the willow wand, but finally he plucked up confidence and got it right, the sisters and brothers laughing and applauding his baby speech. Kind mother, good mother, uh, uh, oh please tell this beast that this is our name day and, and, and we want a feast! Every creature cheered aloud as Abbess Vale came forward, dressed in her best ceremonial habit, and declaimed loudly, Fie on you, great guardian, for can you not see? These young ones are hungry, and they are with me. All the young ones shouted at Thrug, So stand aside, so stand aside and let, and us, let us pass. pass. Thrug stood to one side as they dashed cheering to the tables. It's very cute. It's so cute. I want to know how this tradition got started. Yeah, because, like, it doesn't really get mentioned before or anywhere else. They're just like, oh, I'm going to name the season. Everyone's like, oh, cool. All right. Yeah. Like, name day has a feast and stuff, yeah. I guess. But there's not, like, this tradition. So I want to know, like, when it got started. Because we don't see this in the later times. Mm -mm. Uh, like we didn't, this didn't happen in Mariel. We don't see this in Redwall, uh, or, uh, Mossflower. Uh, Matameo. Well, Redwall didn't exist in Mossflower, so. Yeah, we don't see this in Redwall or in Matameo, like the books. Um, so I want to know, like, when this tradition got started and if it's just something that, like, maybe we just haven't been seeing because they haven't focused on it. The tradition got started because Brian wanted to have a feast because shit always goes sideways at the feasts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Technically, shit didn't go sideways at the feast. Yeah, but it was the, it was the, um, the inciting incident. I guess. Uh, so, yeah. Samkin leads the defeated Thrug to the feast, asking why he'd been called Great Guardian. He explains how that's only on name day, and it really should be a badger in the role. Usually a badger lady, like Great Mother to all of Redwall. And why does he ask? And I... Uh... Oh, go ahead, finish it up. No, you go. I like how, like, we've established, like, it, we're the fifth book in and we're already establishing that there are roles that need to be fulfilled. And I like how the Abbey just needs this balance and certain people in certain roles. 
Um, cause like there's no badger. So like, it's a subtle thing, but they keep mentioning like, it just feels wrong. There's no badger here. There's, there should be a badger mum. Um, it's just like how there always needs to be a gatehouse keeper. There's usually a mole or a hedgehog in charge of the cellars. There's usually a mouse who works as the cook. You know, there's certain roles that are filled by certain creatures and or people of certain personality types. There's also no hair at Red Wall right now. Yeah, that's true. No hair. Although if Mara becomes Badger Mum, Pickle will fill yeah, that role. Yeah, Pickle will be there. It's fine. <laughs> he can be their jester. That's usually what the hairs are. Jesters or bards, yeah. Uh, but Samkin has been caught up in the joy of the feast and runs off to join Arula and the two stoats. Uh, the moles are happily digging in. Bremen shows off a hair snack, which is just a massive dessert tower. Uh, and the stoats are happily digging into the food. Like, they're dipping things into things that really shouldn't go together, but they don't care. It's just, it's they're just good like, food. It's good food. Uh, they are enjoying it so much that one accidentally nips the other's paw, and Arula gets to laugh over stoat paw pudding. Uh, then she has to scold Dumble for getting into her drink. And he says he's a firsty, awful firsty. Like he even gets into the sister's wine and I'm like, ma'am, watch your children. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the two otters. Sorry, have I continue, sorry. have I ever told the story of like, I like to joke that the reason I hate the taste or like I, I can taste alcohol in anything. Like I don't drink. I've only ever been, I've been drunk once and buzzed once. And that was with my best friend because I promised her I would experience it with her once just so I knew what it was like. And I hated every second of it. Um, <laughs> but I tell this because when I was young, there was a Christmas where my grandmother had had somehow acquired a box of really nice chocolate liqueurs for the adults. I thought, wow, look at these neat little wine bottles. That's kind of cool. There's one wrapped in orange. I bet it tastes like the chocolate oranges because orange wrapper means orange flavored chocolate. And the adults yeah. had, of course, told us, don't eat these chocolates. And I, of course, was like, forbidden chocolate, I must eat. So I grabbed the orange flavored one, sneak into the kids' TV room, and we're watching something. And I start nibbling this chocolate thinking, wow, this chocolate actually tastes kind of funny. Take a tick, take a big bite out of the middle and like the liquor just like sloshed into my mouth. And I just, I ran for the kitchen because it was the nearest sink and spat it out. And, like, all the adults who were playing cards turned around to look at me with evil grins. And my mom goes, you took one of the chocolates, didn't you? And I went, uh -huh. <laughs> I was just trying not to cry because my mouth is burning. This sucks. So my my running joke and, like, the family joke is, is that I was so traumatized by the experience that I can't drink alcohol anymore. <laughs> my mom and dad were having a, like, uh, why is there a bug on my desk uh my mom and dad were like uh having a uh date night once and like me and my brothers were supposed to be playing video games in like the other room video games but i got curious and they were in the, the kitchen like pouring wine uh i got curious about the wine because i wanted something to drink mm -hmm. uh and so they let me try it and like i took a sip and immediately spit it back into the cup oh see that's another thing though like my family was always like the thought was is that if we let them try a little bit, then it's not like a forbidden thing that they were like, oh, it'll be cool if we try it. 
So yeah, that I, was that was always my family's thing. Yeah, like uh, I was allowed to try wine, and in fact, my parents would be like, "Hey, we're making a mudslide. Would you like a little one?" Because mudslides have like such little alcohol, or they would just make it without the alcohol. You know, you know what a mudslide is, right? I don't know what a mudslide is. Please explain. It's um, it's Kahlua with milk and I. It's like a slushy. It's like a, a very mildly alcoholic slushy. Um. It tastes kind of vaguely coffee-ish. Yeah, because of the Kahlua. Yeah, because of the Kahlua. And again, like, it's so mild that mom and dad would ask us, would you like a little cup? Just because, like, if we include it, again, it's not a forbidden thing and you won't be as tempted. Um, Yeah. And I would try mudslides now and again and just be like, no thanks. Totally fair. Mm-hmm. Alcohol is not a fantastic flavor. I am, and I don't like. I'm also very sensitive to the flavor of alcohol, mm-hmm. and uh, so I'm very, very picky about the alcohol that I drink. I think mm-hmm. the only hard alcohol that I will drink straight is vodka. Oh my gosh. Uh, I am a powerful person in very, very specific ways. Uh, I mean, to be fair... Uh, there was a very dangerous alcohol I got my hands on recently, which is a type of uh, moonshine... Oh my god. ...that tastes like apple pie. <gasps> I've had that. And it it burns for half a second, and then it tastes like apple pie, and I'm like, oh no, that's dangerous. I, I've had something like that, Izzy, um, because my my cousin's brother-in-law has connections and he was like oh you want to try some apple pie moonshine i'm like yeah sure this will be fine i took one sip and i swear i got buzzed off that one sip and i'm like this is not fine don't get it anywhere near me again <laughs> moonshine is dangerous Good it god is severely alcoholic it'll make you go uh, blind it will make you go blind <laughs> Yeah, I have the I have like a little jar. It's literally like a shot of moonshine, uh-huh. but it is you do not take that like a shot. You sip that shit. Uh-huh. <laughs> moonshine is a sipping is a sipping liquor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, unless you want to get fucked up. <laughs> anyway, uh, so the two otter siblings challenge each other to see who can eat the hottest hot root soup, and it ends in a draw. Basically. Uh, Throg puts a pawful in his, Throgan puts two pawfuls in her, uh, Throgan just takes, like, a whole massive, like, scoopful into his, and then Throgan, like, upends all of the hot root into hers, and the abbess has to call a draw, and they have, they run and, like, dunk their heads into, like, an open cask of cider, like, there's tears uh, to, like, streaming from their eyes, their, their noses are yeah. runny. They've got to soothe their burning mouths, whereas Hollyberry puts them to shame by finishing the soup off with ease. Like, he takes both of their bowls, dumps them into his own, tastes it, and is just like, could be hotter. Yeah. I like a spicy soup. <laughs> it's very good. It is. And there's just general good moods and good food all around. Now, by noon, many creatures have called it quits for eating. They're lounging around the grounds, napping or chatting lazily. There's a uh, there's a hammock set up between two trees, and all the dibbins are, like, in it, taking a nap. Uh, the two stoats, of course, are still eating away, as if they will never get any food ever again. Which, I mean, uh, fire... they don't know they we'll will. We'll talk a bit more about yeah. that later. 
Uh, Friar Bellows has fallen asleep, mouth open, and a spider dangles over his mouth, causing many small giggles as they watch it bobbing in the puffs of his snores. Like, it keeps going into his mouth, and then out of his mouth, and then into his mouth, and then out of his mouth. Mm-hmm. To which I make the comment of, Spiders George, who eats 10,000 a day, is an outlier and should not be counted. And I responded, Spiders Bellow. Spiders Bellow, yes. Uh, there is an abrupt, like extremely abrupt, hard cut back to Mara, Pickle, and Sapwood. Uh, like this is not a new chapter. This is like there's not even like a little like break really. There's just a a, a paragraph break. Yeah. Uh, like uh, Brian hit enter twice and started a new paragraph. Like Brian, this re- it's okay to make short chapters, Brian. It's okay. No, never. Sapwood darts away uh, from the kids, and Farago orders his crew to focus on the hare. The kids are cut off because uh, there's a fox and two ferrets on their way, because they were originally coming around to take care of Sapwood. Uh, And Mara spots them, uh, and, and enraged at the betrayal of the false friends, she barks in order and gives the javelin to Pickle to take one of the ferrets. She'll take the fox, and the third they'll take together. Uh, she copies what Sapwood had done to Gotha and manages to knocks the f- knock the fox out cold. Pickle takes the other ferret out with a sound bash to the head, and the javelin snaps in half. Mara is quick to snap up the broken half, and they both advance on the ferret. Uh, the ferret makes a smart choice, drops his dagger, and runs for it. Yeah, like this ferret's just like, uh-uh, no, not, not today, bye. <laughs> not today! Uh, Mara picks up the dagger, panting and growling under her breath. And Pickle is pretty rattled by her badger rage. Uh, her badger battle rage. Uh, she confesses it's a terrible thing to feel that badger fighting blood running through her veins. Pickle grabs her paw as they hear more of the vermin coming and tells her there's too many. They follow Sapwood's orders and run for it. And I realized <laughs> while reading this, like, I was like, maybe Mara won't become the badger mother at Redwall. Holy shit, wait, I just realized her name starts with an M. Yeah. Fuck. And I made the joke of, like, Martin looming in the background, eyes glowing red. Or or more Mother like... Fuck. You, you know that meme where it's, like, the guy who played Superman in the more recent DC movies and, like, Jason Momoa sneaking up behind him with this big evil grin, like, I'm gonna hug the shit uh, out yeah, of this yeah, guy. Yeah, it's yeah. like, Martin is Momoa <laughs> and Mara is the poor guy just, like, standing there like... <laughs> And, uh, hang on. And I was wondering, like, I I like that they actually managed to get away because usually Brian doesn't seem to like to give the villains too strong of an advantage at the end of the first part of the book. Because, like, again, this is all the setup. He's setting things up. He's getting things ready. They can't have too strong of an advantage or the middle part won't be interesting because then you're just wondering why haven't they won already? Um... So, like, yeah. letting the kids get away, letting them not having be taken hostage by the main villain force anyway, is like, okay, I can see what he's doing now. That's that's pretty good. And it's it would have been, like, a slight departure for them to get caught by the main villains that fast. Because, like, yes, like, we have seen Matameo get caught at the end of Act 1, or not even at the end of Act 1, but in the middle of Act 1 in Matameo. Um... But in his other books, generally, the kids, if they get caught, it's by a secondary or even tertiary threat to the main threat. Just so they have a moment of tension to, like, slow them down so the plot doesn't finish too soon. 
Yeah. Uh, speaking of Sapwood, uh, he puts on a big burst of speed, one that gives him enough time to get the jump on the three lead weasels chasing him. Uh, he lays out two of them, but miscalculates and uh, takes a wound to his paw from the third. Uh, so he books it. Frago curses as he sees the hare easily outdistancing his band. In a, foul, in a foul mood, he curses and calls his crew inept and useless. Like, uh, he, Klitsch, he knows he, they're never going to catch this hare. This hare is too fast and too agile. He's just like, oh my god, bunglers, fools, idiots. You fools! You idiots! Um. <laughs> Klitsch gets into it with him, saying that he'd done all the work and Frago had flubbed it. Uh, his father prepares to attack him, uh, but Klitsch is having none of it. The two end up in a stalemate. And Farago gives in with a snarl. It's pointless to argue. Their cover is blown anyway. So they will march for Salamandastron tonight. And like, I'm like, see, told you, his father knows. Oh, yeah. He absolutely knows that his kid's going to kill him the minute he gets the chance. listening. If you like this podcast and want to help keep it going, please consider donating to our coffee, linked in the description below. Follow our Twitter and Tumblr at Abbey Archives and join our Discord. This podcast is part of Hearthside Enclave, and some other shows you might like are Hope's Hearth, a solar hope punk actual play podcast, and Post-Apocalyptic News Radio, a Fallout-inspired audio drama.